Episode 81 with John McKinney, Deputy District Attorney of Los Angeles, who is under George Gascon. George Gascon uh, was supposed to get recalled, but uh, supposedly they didn't get enough legit petitions in to get him recalled. So we talked to John McKinney about it. Episode 81, here we go. Obviously, big news yesterday regards to District Attorney George Gascon. The group got 717-plus petitions to get him out of office. They claimed that they got 420,000 that were legit. They needed 566,000 to recall this lawless DA. How the hell would 200,000 petitions get thrown out? That's 27% of the petitions being thrown out. Don't you think that's a really high number? All right. Well, uh, good afternoon, Mike. I'm happy to be on with you. I want to correct you. I think you misspoke. 715,000 signatures were turned in. 520,000 were determined to be valid. And approximately 200,000 were thrown out. And although that's high, it is within the realm of what we historically see with recall elections. They tend to run between 20% and 30% invalid. Uh, We were hoping that the number would be closer to the low end of that at 20%. If so, we would have made it. But it appears, according to the registrar recorder, that we were closer to the higher end. Now, his math is going to have to be checked on that. The invalidated signatures are going to have to be scrutinized. But if that stands, then uh, we came up about 46,000 validated or verified signatures short. Steve Cooley was a former DA. Did you work under him? Yes. He's, I worked under Steve Cooley for all three of his terms as district attorney. He's pretty fired up. Sounds like he's going to get some attorneys together and contest this thing. Yeah, and he should because Steve was a formal member and one of the leaders of the recall committee. So he was instrumental in putting that committee together and raising funds to for that committee to go about its work. So He has a vested interest in it from that standpoint, and certainly as a concerned citizen of Los Angeles, uh, I bet Steve will do what the committee should do, which is um, really scrutinize the work of this registrar recorder who has has been known to have problems uh, throughout his career in in counting votes, uh, not just in Los Angeles County, but also in Washington State. So, uh, yeah, Steve needs to do that. John, do you think it's a little bit fishy when they don't allow the outside, a couple outsiders who want to kind of just oversee the operation in terms of checking petitions? Is that kind of fishy to not allow them in the room? Well, there should be transparency, and I think there will be transparency. The question is, when should that transparency take place? Should it take place while the registrar recorder is uh, counting the signatures and validating the signatures, or is it enough? that whatever decisions he makes is subject to scrutiny afterwards. Uh, You know, he made the case that the law and practice has never allowed uh, outside observers to watch uh, recall petition signatures or ballot measure signatures be validated. That's never happened before. I'm sure they don't want to set a precedent for it to happen every time there's a ballot measure. So they wanted to do it on their own and then make their work available. I think as long as the work is made available and can be objectively scrutinized, then that's enough transparency um, to see whether or not this is legit. 
Do you think the court would throw something like this out? Um, well, it depends on, on what uh, irregularities are found, if any. Now, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about the ver- various categories in which these signatures were invalidated, but I think there's some interesting categories here that that's at least worthy of a conversation. Yep. Let's talk about it. Okay. So the registrar recorder broke down the 200,000 uh, signatures that he found to be invalid in certain categories. And I think some of them are objective in nature and easily verifiable. For example, he found that 88,000 more or less were people who are not registered to vote. Well, if you're not registered to vote, you're not eligible to participate in a recall effort. So that should be easy enough to to verify. He threw out 43,000 duplicate signatures. Again, that should be pretty easy to verify. And if that's the case, right, people shouldn't be allowed to sign more than once. He threw out 7,000 canceled signatures. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but I think it means that people signed a petition and then later contacted the registrar and said they wanted to withdraw their their signature. So if that's the case, that should be verifiable as well. He threw out 5,000 signatures because the people were registered in a different county, and this is a Los Angeles County matter. So that should be easy to verify. And I think those are all legitimate reasons to disqualify signatures. But there are three other categories that I highly question. He threw out 32,000 signatures because the address on the petition didn't match the address on the voter's registration card. Now, I assume because he didn't put them in the not register category that these were all voters who were registered in Los Angeles County. He made that determination. The only discrepancy is the address on the voter registration card that was used when they registered to vote versus the address they put on the petition. To me, that's a technicality. And no voter should be disenfranchised because of a technicality. If the letter and spirit of the law in California is that every vote should count, and by extension, every signature in a recall or a ballot measure, then signatures shouldn't be disqualified for for technicalities. It is easy to verify whether a registered voter intended for that signature to be placed on the recall petition. So I I highly question the practice of throwing out thousands of, of signatures simply because there's a discrepancy in addresses. He threw out another 9,000 for a category he calls other. What the heck is other? Right? Is other that the person wrote outside the lines when they signed a petition? Does it mean they didn't spell out avenue or street? They didn't spell out the word Los Angeles? They put LA? Again, if that's what other means, those are technicalities that should not have disqualified 9,000 signatures. And finally, he threw out 9,000 signatures for what he called uh, mismatched signatures, meaning they looked at the signature on the voter registration card whenever that was filled out, and they looked at the signature on the petition and subjectively determined they didn't look close enough to be a match. That is a highly subjective determination, and I think the weakest reason of all to throw out a registered voter's signature. So I think, you know, if you look at those three categories, you're talking about 50,000 registered voters who are disenfranchised for technicalities. 
And that's more than enough for this uh, recall effort to have met the minimum number to force an election. So if I were the recall committee, I would be talking about those three categories and challenging the state legislature and the governor and every voter in California to recognize that these 50,000 registered voters in the, in the county of Los Angeles should not have been disenfranchised over technicalities. Are you going to get involved? Are you even allowed to get involved? No, I, I don't work within the committee structure. I'm not a formal me- member of the recall committee. I obviously supported the recall of DA George Gascon, like many other citizens. Mm-hmm. I attended many of their events. I collected signatures on their behalf. I donated money. But I'm, I'm really just like you, Mike, or and many other people out there who signed a petition. Um, I certainly have been lending my ideas. I talk to folks about things. And I, I, like I'm talking to you, I've been on television talking about the notion that these three categories are suspect to me. But they have their own lawyers. Um, they have money. They have access to additional money if they need it for litigation. And they have people like Steve Cooley and other smart people who are more well-versed in in election law than I am. So we'll see what they do. It's funny because in this state, you can vote without identification. And now they're reading every letter of that petition with a magnifying glass. And this doesn't sit well with me, with you, with millions of others in L.A., L.A. County, L.A. City, the state of California, you know, especially those who don't, they don't even live in the city, but they visit the city. And when you visit the city, it's a, it's a fourth world country. Yeah. You know, over the last year and a half um, that I've been speaking out against George Gascon, I, you know, against his policies, I, I don't speak out against him personally. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of people who don't live in Los Angeles and they don't work in Los Angeles. They, they sometimes visit Los Angeles. They sometimes visit for pleasure. They sometimes visit for business. And it surprised me how many people who have never lived here care about this city and this county. I mean, this is a beloved place throughout the country and around the world, and people don't want to see it spoiled. So um, there's a lot of support from outside of Los Angeles County. I just wish we could generate more attention and support within the county, especially the city of Los Angeles. What's the motive of Gascon, though? Why, why is he this way? Why does he have a lawless attitude? You know, that's the million-dollar question. Um, I think, and I've thought about this quite a bit, I think George Gascon is a prisoner to his own ideology. It's an ideology that he somehow will right past wrongs of racism and discrimination by implementing what he calls equity, but really is just another form of injustice that ends up hurting minority communities the most. It's really perverse, but he really sees himself as a national figure on criminal justice reform that only focuses on the criminal offender, not the community as a whole and not victims. Well, you really liked his uh, tweet this morning. Huh? Grateful to move <laughs> forward from the attempted political power grab. Rest assured, L.A. County, the work hasn't stopped. My primary focus has been and will always be keeping us safe and creating a more equitable justice system for all. I remain strongly committed to that work and to you. That's George Gascon's tweet this morning. Yeah, it's laughable. Good stuff, huh? Uh-huh. 
uh, you know, it really, it really shows a lack of humility on this part. Cause I got to tell you, there are a lot of politicians in this country whom I don't agree with, but if they just dodge the political bullet of having over half a million of their constituents vote to remove them from office, they would have stepped to a podium and said, I'm sorry. I represent you and I want to do better for you. I want to earn your support and I want to earn your confidence. I'm going to do a reset and I'm going to really work hard to win the confidence of everybody in the community. But no, what does he do? He gets out there and he starts spiking the ball and claiming that uh, this was a political power grab by who? By his own constituents. Mm -hmm. That's the ridiculousness of, of his uh, message. But that, that's what happens when you're arrogant. You know, you can't see past your own arrogance. Well, the scary part is he's going to be here till December 2024. And now it's like the handcuffs are off. And who the hell knows yeah, that what, is, he's, what he's that up to now? Scary. Yeah. It's scary because, you know, there are people who wonder, is this going to embolden him? He already claimed he had a mandate before, you know, and now is he going to run around feeling that I beat back two recall efforts? Mm -hmm. Uh, that means the people like what I'm doing and they want me to double down on it. His tweet this morning is an indication that that is the direction that he plans on going in. Uh, I worry about the office itself because I know there were a, a lot of good deputy DAs who left. Uh, they just couldn't work for a man who changed the mission of the DA's office from one of protecting the community and prioritizing public safety to this perverse notion of equity that he has. Uh, there were others who who hung in there. I mean, they have a lot of opportunities to go elsewhere to make more money and to, to work in an environment that they feel comfortable in. But they hung in there hoping this recall would be successful and we could have an election. Now that that's not going to happen and he's going to be there for another two years, I fear that we may lose 25 percent or, or a third of the workforce that he will then replace with younger prosecutors who share his vision of the world and more public defenders who really come into the office with the notion that they're going to be a public defender with power now and dismiss cases. So the future, the, the immediate future is bleak. Those that he would hire to replace those that leave, could the next district attorney coming in get rid of those guys? No. Wow. No. So those guys have uh, to know, leave or retire? They would have to leave or retire. And Mike, I got to tell you, being a deputy district attorney, at least before Gascon, is one of the greatest jobs in the in practice of law, especially if you enjoy doing trials, because we got to come to work every day with one mission, and that was to do the right thing. George Gascon came in and changed all of that. But this job, at least being a deputy DA in Los Angeles County, means that once you clear probation, you know, you clear probation after your first year on the job. You could be in the office for the next 30 years, and it's very difficult for anyone to get rid of you after that. And every district attorney who takes office has to work with the workforce that's already in place. Now, that's been great over the years because that's given the office stability and a high degree of institutional knowledge being passed on from generation of lawyer to the next. But George Gascon now has an opportunity in four years to, to flip half that workforce to people who don't even believe in the mission of a district attorney. 
it is scary because the next district attorney is going to have to deal with those people. It is scary. He's, he has strained you. He's strained others. There's got to be a time where you kind of just put your hands up. I mean, are there ever, is there ever a time where you want to give up where you just feel like quitting? You know, no, I haven't felt that yet. And in fact, I'm more inspired today than I was yesterday. Uh, uh, I see 2024 in front of us. I know it feels like a long way off, but, you know, 18 months from now, we're going to have a primary for L.A. County District Attorney. And I expect to continue doing the things that I have been doing, maybe even ramp it up a bit and make make L.A. County come to terms with the fact that we missed one. And what I mean by that is the voters in this county did not see George Gascon coming. Uh, that's in part because he wasn't honest about who he was and what he was going to do. But it's also because the voters were caught up in the post-George Floyd uh, feeling that swept over the country mm-hmm. and, you know, voted for change just for the sake of change. And, and we, you know, you can't do that. It's not it's not as if change always leads to better outcomes. You can have change for the better or change for the worse. And in this case, uh, the L.A. County voters chose worse. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't have change if it's not going to be improvement. What's the what's the purpose of change? Um, right. How many attorneys are under him? We have about 800 to 850 attorneys uh, at the present moment. We're, we're down about 150 attorneys. When we're fully staffed, we have about 1,000 attorneys in the DA's office. And does he have to fill those spots, the additional 150? Yes. Yes. He, you know, there's, there's a suggestion wow. that he is intentionally not filling those spots because he does not want the office to work. He wants wow. deputy DAs to feel overworked and that might encourage more people to leave so that he can replace them. Oh my goodness. How often do you see him? Do you guys work hand in hand? Do you see him often? I work one floor below the district attorney and on occasion I have to go up to his floor to do business. I've never, I've never met the man face to face. I met him over zoom and a couple of zoom meetings that I was a part of. Um, but yeah, you know, he took office, you would think taking over a major operation like the LA County DA's office, which is the largest local prosecuting agency anywhere in the world. You would think that someone from the outside, which he is, who gets voted into that office would make it a point to make the rounds and meet the deputy DA's who are going to be tasked with carrying out his vision. He's never met with me. He's never met with our unit as a whole. I've talked to hundreds of DAs that have never met him. Uh, he's never held, you know, like a, a large gathering to talk to us as an office. Uh, he's never really explained his vision and, and why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, he's never trained us on how to implement these nine sweeping directives that he issued when he was sworn into office. And it's created a sense of chaos and a lack of confidence in his leadership. You know, over 97% of deputy DAs who voted in a poll voted to support the recall effort. So there's no confidence in him by the lawyers who are tasked with carrying out his vision. Was George Soros a part of any of those uh, Zoom, Zoom meetings? 
No. <laughs> no. Maybe in spirit, but, but not in person. <laughs> did you know what you guys were getting into when this when this guy was running for office? Did you know this, did. his background? Okay. I did because uh, I was on social media then. It wasn't uh, as large as my social media presence is today. It was basically me on Facebook. But I was warning against George Gascon during even as early as the primary race that he ran uh, between him, Jackie Lacey, and another young woman who who was part of that race. Uh, He was a clear failure to me uh, as DA of San Francisco. He never worked a day in his life as a lawyer, let alone a prosecutor, before being given the job of DA of San Francisco. And so it was clear that he was going to be an epic failure in the largest DA's office in the country. You know, San Francisco is very small compared to L.A. And if you can't run San Francisco, you're not ready for prime time. You're not ready for L.A. County, as large as we are, 10 million citizens, the gang capital of the country. Um, He wasn't ready for this, and it shows every day. Is it true that uh, if a police officer kills a felon, the taxpayer essentially pays for their funeral? Well, George Gascon implemented a new policy through our Victim Services Bureau, whereby he announced that that very fact, that if police killed someone, even lawfully, that the DA would use funds set aside for victims of crime to pay for the funeral of a person who, you know, may have pointed a gun at police, shot at police. It didn't matter, according to his policy, how guilty that person was or how that person may have participated in his own demise. He announced that the DA's office would pay for that person's funeral and burial. Why? I don't know. And it bothered me only because Look, if we had unlimited money paying for somebody's funeral, it doesn't bother me. But we don't have unlimited money. We have a victim restitution fund that's set aside for innocent victims of crime. And every dollar that comes out of that fund is not there for innocent victims of crime. So I, I objected to it on those grounds. An absolute joke. Um, in politics, you know, people are concerned about the White House Senate seats, the House seats, et cetera. But what's really important is the local politics in your city. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. And there's a big one coming up with the L.A. mayor race between Karen yes. Bass and Rick Caruso. Are you able to talk about who you're going to support in that race? Well, I'll tell you this. I think both of those candidates have strengths and weaknesses. I think both Rick Caruso and Karen Bass are fine people. And I think the person that LA city voters choose to lead the city uh, should focus on what the needs of the city are at this moment. We know Karen Bass's history in politics is a remarkable one. She's quite accomplished, but most of her career has been uh, as a career politician and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, she knows how to mobilize people. She knows how to build consensus. She knows how to get people on the same page. That's been most of her career. Rick Caruso, on the other hand, is somebody who, who's interesting because he has both a private sector wealth of experience and he also has some public related, quasi public official experience. He's a builder. 
you know, he, he's actually built things. So uh, if people think that LA at this moment is in need of a lot of rebuilding of our infrastructure, we need to build shelters for homeless people. You know, maybe they look at Rick Caruso and say, I like both of them, but he has a skill set that I need right now. Maybe other people will look at Karen and say, you know, I can appreciate what Rick Caruso brings to the table, but she has direct ties to Washington, D.C. She might be able to get the resources we need in the city. You know, I'm not going to comment on which one I think is, is best for the job, but, you know, that's a decision for Los Angeles City voters to make. But I hope they they think carefully about the decision before they vote. We have too many people out there going to the polls voting, you know, team D or team R. You know, we have too many people going out there voting for whoever, you know, their favorite politician says they should vote for. People have to start thinking for themselves, make their own assessments and evaluations and vote for the, for the future, vote for the children. You know, the mess that we're leaving to the next generation really isn't fair to them. John, you're smooth, man. You're going to run against uh, Gascon in 24? Well, you know, I did announce that if the recall were successful, that I was prepared to run. Man, I had my PF flyers on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just waiting for that announcement, uh, oh. and I was going to hit the ground running. Uh, now that that decision is is put off for a considerable amount of time, um, you know, I'm not going to make any pronouncements at this time. But I am engaged. I'm going to stay engaged. I, I will certainly explore the possibility of running in the future. And you follow me on, on my social media. So if I do it, you'll be one of the first to know. At this point, John, do you even trust the election process? You know, I got to tell you, um, I did trust the elections mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And I thought we were moving in the right direction uh, when we started to move toward, you know, electronic voting because i i thought that was safer than sort of ink blots or the punch cards you know and then we heard this uproar about rigged elections and and my first thought was no that's that's not true on a grand enough scale to make a difference in most elections right Mm -hmm. but i gotta tell you i i started to get very uncomfortable with the voting process as we move toward mail-in voting and not just mail-in voting because there's some people who can't make it to the polls and so some people have a necessity to vote by mail or vote remotely mm-hmm. and then some people are out of the country or in the military what have you i think it's appropriate when there's a need but this idea that we just wholesale send out ballots to people even people who never requested a mail-in ballot that makes me very uncomfortable because I've now I've been reading stories and these are credible stories of ballots showing up by the thousands in places they shouldn't be. And, yeah, I do think that it makes our elections less credible, especially our local elections, which oftentimes are decided maybe by a few hundred or, or a couple thousand votes, not millions of votes. So I'm more concerned about the integrity of our elections today than I was a few years ago. Why doesn't anything ever happen, though? Everything always gets swept under the rug. Well, you know, people, it all, it, all of our solutions start with us. And I'm going to go ahead and put the burden on us. We elect the politicians who make the decisions that end up affecting our lives. The power really resides in us. This great thing about this country and living in a democracy is the power 
is retained in the people. But if the people aren't educated, if the people aren't aware, and if the people aren't vigilant about protecting that power, then it's going to be used against us. So we got to get with it. One last question for you. What's your favorite thing about L.A.? The weather. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's been really hot the last few weeks, so I I hope this doesn't signify that climate change is is among among us and uh and it's gonna you know make it unbearably hot here going forward but i came out here from new jersey in 1994 to attend law school at ucla and my plan was i was going to return home i was going to grab my ucla law degree go back east and be one of the few kids on the block you know with a ucla law degree but I was here six months, and the weather was beautiful every single day. I couldn't believe it. So I've been I've been hooked on L.A. ever since. Things have really changed since the 90s, huh? They have, but for the better, you know, because when I got here in the 90s, crime was quite bad, much worse mm-hmm. than it is even now. But I watched and I participated as a DA in bringing that crime rate all the way down to the point where in 2014, LA was voted safest large city in America. Wow. And now we're watching a reversal of that fortune. And that scares me, especially for young people. Cause you know, at, at, at this point I have a great job. I have financial security. I have options. I can leave LA if I want, if things got bad enough and I felt I couldn't take it, I could leave. I'm not gonna do that. But there are a lot of people who can't leave. And there's another generation coming up who should be able to enjoy L.A. the way we did. And so I think we have a responsibility to make sure that uh, L.A. doesn't lose its character for being a beautiful place, beloved by people all over the country and all over the world. John, keep fighting the good fight, man. I will, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so Great much. Conversation. Thank you so much. Agree. I would love to have you on later later down the road if things things ever change. Yeah, let's see how things develop. I'd love to come back and update you on any major developments. John McKinney, district attorney in LA. Man, that guy's bright. Man, that guy's bright. Wouldn't you like that guy representing us? <laughs> Amazing conversation. Good guy. Good guy. This thing has gotten so far that felons, felons in L.A. are getting tattoos of George Gascon on their bodies. (laughs) Did you hear that? Felons are getting tattoos of their body of George Gascon. Imagine that. That, That's their homie now. That's their boy. Felons. Yeah, that's, that's that's not the crowd you want to attract. Not the kind of people you want on your side if you're the district attorney, but... It, this is uh, beyond what we really see because what John McKinney was saying, if you're an elected official and you've got 850 to 1,000 men and women under you as attorneys, that's your team. You're telling me you're not going to bring them all together at least one time when you get elected and let them know what the hell's going on and how we're going to run this thing and how we're going to do things and have an open dialogue with them. I mean, it tells you right away off the bat what kind of person he is. And you see it in our streets. And it's not good. Safety is non-negotiable in my book. Safety is non-negotiable. We don't, we don't, you don't talk about safety. You do everything you possibly can to be safe. So at any time of the night or day, 
a woman, a man, any anybody can take their dog out and walk it and not feel threatened in any way. Safety is non-negotiable. And now we're negotiating our safety by a guy who was representing us. I did some air quotes. Representing us. Him and other these other cronies in office are just destroying this state. Destroying this state. And it is the greatest state in the country and possibly the world. You get everything here. Like John was saying, the weather's good all the time. The food is great. You got the beach, the mountains. I don't have to tell you. I mean, you've got everything here. But you've got a handful of people who are just destroying it. That's very sad. Thanks again to John for coming on. Look forward to having him on again if things do change. We'll wait and see if anything materializes. That was episode 81. On episode 82, I'm going to have Evan Lovett on. He has an amazing page on Instagram. It's called LA in a Minute. And he breaks down all of the popular sites all over Los Angeles. It's an amazing account that he does. Um, he, he, he really runs a great page. And I look forward to that. I hope you do too. This was fun. Appreciate you guys making me a part of your day. This was Mike Up Pod. I am Mike Gabriel. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go.